Welcome everyone to the Real Education Podcast. My name is Anthony. I'm gonna be your host today. And today I have a special guest with me. Uh, this is Sujit Singh. He is the Executive Director of Combined Efforts. And this is an arts and theater organization for persons with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Iowa City, Iowa. Uh, he's been a long uh, time friend of mine. And uh, today we're just gonna talk about disability advocacy and uh, what it means, uh, especially for in the field of education, uh, in the climate that we're in, uh, with a lot, a lot of the things that are going on in our communities, um, and just how we can uh, utilize this real education uh, to promote disability advocacy uh, throughout the United States. So we'll talk about things that are relevant, again, empathy, things that are, have action and lifelong learning all around disability advocacy. So welcome, Sujit. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on today. All right. Uh, again, uh, I'm glad you were able to uh, come and, and talk to me about this. Now, you know, uh, schools are getting ready to start, and a lot of students, you know, are, are have been out of school since March. Um, and, you know, the, especially the students with disabilities, I know that a lot of parents are concerned um, about their children receiving the services that they need. Um, but you know, and also adults, just in general, um, can you just kind of talk to me a little bit about um, how you got started in uh, disability advocacy, especially as it relates to your current job? Uh, how I actually got started with advocacy is being able to do my own advocacy, because I am a person living with two disabilities, cerebral palsy and epilepsy, and the only way that I could really get into the role I'm at as an executive director right now is to have gone through what most people with disabilities go through. Whether it's, you know, like I call it breaking the brick wall. Because for a person with a disability, in even in education, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. There's a lot of educating that you have to do not only for yourself, but for your teachers. Because you have to find out what you need and how you need it before you can do anything else. And so I got the job I'm currently in because the person who had my spot before me retired and uh, I was groomed into this role. So this role is fairly new for me. I just got it back in uh, May, so right in the middle of COVID. But um, being able to do a lot of training for the education world for me is a big number one thing for most people and most teachers in a county. Mm. So uh, how does your work affect the field of education? Uh, mostly it is people to come and see. Like where, what company or organization I work for, it's more arts and theater. We've got a men's choir. We have like a music group. So most of that, the education we do isn't really the same kind of education that you do as a teacher and when you were doing your um, assistant principal and stuff of that nature, how we do it more is teaching our members kind of how to do things. Like they might think, you know, a dance isn't for them or choir isn't for them, but just trying it and seeing whether it works. You know, it's kind of a different type of education. We kind of give all of our members all these different options of things they could do. Like somebody might not think they could be an actor or they might not think they're capable of being an actor because 
of what people have told them in their past. Because you have a disability, you can't. There's a lot of you can't, you won't, you'll never type of thing going on. And that's something that in your field of the education world, a lot of people in the, how do I say, the special ed world, um, treat their students a little bit differently. You know, there are students that could be integrated into the classroom, but learning what the capacity of that student is in order to find out if integration is something that could be done is something that you'd have to educate yourself on because you don't know whether or not the signs you need to look for are actually the signs you need to look for. Sure. Well, now, let's kind of, you know, uh, go a little deeper in that because I, I know what you said that your organization is dealing with the arts and, you know, a lot of times when, when students are in school, um, there's this kind of set curriculum that we have to teach them. And, you know, as you know, we were, we were in band and just something about the arts that brings out the creative side of people. And it really showcases that no matter what uh, kind of a disability or, uh, or even a regular person uh, that does not have a disability, uh, you know, it just brings that creative side of people. So can you talk about how it's in the, um, the disability space, how uh, the arts creates more opportunities, I would even say equitable opportunities uh, than just the one size fits all, let's all learn um, uh, our math facts, let's all learn these particular uh, different strengths. How does arts open up these opportunities for people that have uh, disabilities? Well, I feel that arts has always had a place for people with disabilities in it. Uh, but we see, just take like television and movies, for example, um, they have an able-bodied person playing a disabled role. Mm. So you've got like the blind person, but that person isn't really blind, or the deaf person who really isn't deaf. So most of the chances that a person with a disability gets are like the token uh, disabled person. So it's like a quick roll with two lines, but the role of somebody in a wheelchair, which a disabled person can play, that person doesn't get the chance because they don't think, and it's on the director or whoever's doing the play sure. to give a disabled person a chance. All we need is a chance. If you give that student a chance and they can't do it, at least you know that that person tried. Yeah. You know, that, and that student will know, okay, I do have the capability, but I have to work on my craft some more. You know, I did audition for the part, but, or yeah. you and I being in band, there are certain instruments that if you have dexterity in the hands, you can play. But if you don't have dexterity in your hands, you might not be able to play that instrument. It's also up to the teacher or the director or the principal to be able to know that there are accommodations that could be made for that student. You just need to know where to find those accommodations. Right. So, I mean, you know, and that kind of, you know, gets to our first point about relevance, um, especially if, like you said, in the movies, oftentimes it's played by somebody that's not that particular, doesn't have that particular disability. Um, you know, could you speak quickly on, you know, I've, I've noticed, especially with uh, Target and some other, I think, hug Huggies, um, a lot of more uh, organizations and companies are starting to promote people with disabilities. Uh, I think maybe Target or maybe Huggies had a Down syndrome um, uh, child 
to represent the Huggies brand and just kind of getting them more exposure. Um, so people, uh, you know, this is kind of segueing into empathy, um, but it's giving them a better understanding that uh, those, you know, that we're, we're not in the shadows, that we are a part of, you know, of, of American, the fabric of American life. Can you kind of explain a little bit uh, what your thoughts on that? Right. And what Target and Huggies are doing is great. Don't get me wrong. But to me, if I had the chance to ask, I would want to know, are they doing it because they want to, or are they doing it because they feel public pressure? Mm. And the public pressure is saying, you know, this is a group of people that hasn't been, you know, they say that all the time, like when you're watching a movie or TV, I don't see someone that looks like me. Sure. And so as an Asian man of Indian descent, I don't get to see a lot of people on TV like me until recently. So is Huggies putting a Down syndrome baby in their commercial something that they were forced to do or that they wanted to do? Because Huggies has been around for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And so why did it take until 2020 for a Down syndrome baby to be on the box? You know, I would want to know that question because that is something that if they're saying, you know, we've messed up and we know we haven't done this and we're going to try and make change because we're in a time period in our lives where change and protests and all that kind of stuff is happening. Yeah. So are they feeling the desire to do it because they want to or they need to? And I'm not too familiar with what Target is doing. So... So how do you, like going to the empathy uh, part there, what are some ways that you believe that we can utilize empathy where people actually are getting into the, another person's shoes? They're trying somebody else's life so that they can understand, you know, just the basic of empathy so that we can guide our actions to not be so hostile or uh, be afraid uh, to go and talk to somebody or, or things. And then maybe even uh, segue into your, uh, documentary that you um, created that would actually showcase, uh, you know, trying somebody else's life and how that understanding through empathy can open up a wide variety of opportunities for people to understand uh, the disabled uh, community or people that have a disability. Uh, doing that, you have to be very careful. There's a fine line when you're trying to get into somebody's shoes. For my documentary in which I did a disability simulation, it took five years for me to create this because I had to make sure that I was walking that line without going over it. Because if you go over it, it could become you're making fun of somebody mm. versus I want to learn what you go through. And someone will, an able-bodied person will never learn what a disabled person goes through. A disabled person might not learn what another disabled person goes through. Yes, I have seizures, but I know other people who have seizures worse than I do. Mm -hmm. You know, they're on a cocktail of meds. I'm on a cocktail of meds, but there's certain things that I can't do that somebody else can do. So all the different disabilities are different. So being able to say, I want to be in your shoes is very hard mm -hmm. because the shoes that somebody lives in isn't really the same type of shoes that somebody else with the same disability lives in. So if you want to do it, it is more, to me, just a verbal education. You don't have to live in the shoes, but don't be afraid to ask questions. Sure. You know, you might not get the answer you're looking for, 
but at least you ask the questions. And by asking questions, it opens up a dialogue. And when you open up a dialogue, then you'll be able to ask the questions that you've always been afraid to ask. So, you know, when it comes to uh, the things that we're talking about here, what do you think are some top things that people don't understand uh, about people that have a disability? And what are some ways that we can't understand? Uh, again, we may not be able to walk in somebody's shoes, but what do you think are the top maybe three misconceptions about people with disabilities? Uh, and what are some ways that we can learn uh, how to overcome those, you know, a lot of, there, there's isms, you know, there's a lot of isms, especially in uh, when it comes to uh, those kind of things. Well, how can we, how can we bring clarity or understanding to uh, those, those misconceptions? Uh, I would say the number one misconception is that a person with a disability cannot work and that they can't work at a high level. Yes, I've, I'm a director now, but I've been working 11 years to get to where I am. And I've gone up and down, had no job for a while. You know, I got lucky. It got handed to me on a silver platter. But that's not what everybody else goes through. You know, there are places, and I don't want to name them those names, but there are places that pay their disabled employees less money than their regular employees to do the same job. Mm. Or they just don't think they can do it, so they're not going to know the difference, so we're just going to pay them less. That does happen. So when you talk about, like, equal pay for equal work, that also implies with people with disabilities, too. You know, I can do the same stuff somebody else can, but when they see me, you know, technically, you know, around the, you know, what's the word I'm saying here to be so PC, like I'm literally shaking on the floor. So when people see that, their perspective of me changes. And then at work, the look I get is different. So people with disabilities can work. They might not be able to do everybody's job, mm -hmm. but they can do it. Um, the second thing is that to me, if you're someone in a wheelchair or a walker, they can't be approached. Everybody's approachable. Everybody's a person. So it's okay to approach. It's okay to ask a question because I'd rather you ask a question and get an answer than just make a preconceived notion about my disability and be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, something simple as asking, you know, do you need help opening this door? I would be fine or yeah, I could really use some help. That could be something that could change my day because somebody asked for help or somebody just came and talked to me. That's a huge deal. And then number three, from an empathy standpoint, is just that somebody looked at me like I'm a person. Mm. Yes, they see the disability. Yes, I am disabled. But to see that I'm a person too. And sometimes that doesn't happen in the disability world. They see you as not being somebody because you're not like them. Mm -hmm. That would be my top three, I would say. So what are some ways do you think we can overcome that? Uh, you know, especially I know it's, uh, you know, maybe when you were going to school, um, especially, you know, students these days, you know, they, 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 they don't hold anything back, you know, and it really, I think it has increased, especially with online, you know, uh, just working in the education space, you know, sometimes as even a former administrator, we'll spend so much of our time dealing with the stuff that kids stay online. You know, it's, it's almost like a, 
Uh, they wouldn't say it in your face, but they'll say it online, you know? And so when you're dealing with uh, different, uh, you know, different things that students have issues with, maybe they don't like somebody, and then you throw on on top of all that, maybe it's race, maybe it's gender, you know, maybe it's you just come from a different zip code, and then you add something as far as a disability on there, you know, it just kind of compiles. So what are some ways that you think that uh, we can overcome, you know, those top three things that you said, uh, but especially again in the climate that we're in, what, what are some ways, things that we can do to kind of help that? I mean, what I would say mostly is to try and integrate. Whether it be, you know, a one hour a day, they go to gym class. You know, so it's not because you're, and correct me if I'm wrong with where it is, where you are, because you and I are in two different, you know, I'm in the Midwest, you're in the South. So it could be different. But to be able to integrate, you know, a person with Down syndrome into gym class so that they get to, intermingled with able-bodied individuals and be able to play with them and learn from them that would be something that would excite that person's day probably for the month or the year who knows but to integrate so they can see whether or not they're capable because mm -hmm. if you put i was a student in elementary school who was asked to go into special ed because of my disability and my parents refused to put me in there they told me you're going to be integrated into class. They went to the principal and said, no, my son is going to be here. They forced the integration because they felt like if I was segregated, I wasn't going to learn what I needed to learn in the general classroom. And it would hold me back because special ed, while special ed is great and it works well for those who need it, just because you're in it doesn't mean you need it. Um, so now we're going to talk about some action steps. Um, and, you know, before we do that, I do want to, you know, I remember when I was in college, uh, we had a, uh, a small class on exceptional children. I think it was called exceptional, exceptional child. Uh, and part of that class, we actually had to uh, kind of do one of the things that you did in your documentary. We had to kind of uh, spend a day um, and one of the various uh, things that you know people struggle with as being as disabled, maybe it was in a wheelchair, um, some somebody had to be blind, uh, maybe a couple of people couldn't you know use their arms, and so we had to you know work through that. And I chose to be in a wheelchair, and so you know, and this was crazy because you know going to Barry College, it's a huge campus, and I can remember. Uh, going up to, this is called Ford, Ford Hall. Uh, and it was like maybe at least a quarter of a mile. And it was, you know, somewhat uphill. And I actually pushed the wheelchair up there. And I felt it was very difficult. You know, I know that maybe a lot of people that, that, that are in wheelchairs have a lot of upper body strength, you know, because, it, it, you know, if they don't have somebody else to push the wheelchair or, uh, you know, if they have the electronic um, uh, wheelchairs. But to do that, that manual, it was very hard. I also found it difficult, um, especially when you want to get something out of the cabinet. You know, um, I had to work around trying to, you know, get like a, a holder, you know, to be able to open up the things and then, you know, get what I wanted. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if they're still doing that in 
uh, you know, these uh, colleges. Um, but what are some things, uh, just, just kind of with action, what are some action steps that you think that, especially for disability advocacy, uh, colleges should be doing to promote, especially uh, new teachers, to be able to advocate for students with disabilities? Well, with the college I'm in and going to, the University of Iowa, they have something called the Student Disability Services Department. So any student with a disability, whether it be physical or invisible, can go there and get whatever required accommodations they need. So there's a long list, or if it's not on the list, you can create whatever you need, and it's given to the teacher. On the first day of school, or second day of class, you give it to the teacher and you as a student have to explain to the teacher what you need so that that teacher knows what to do. Mm -hmm. Because without you explaining it to the teacher, the teacher's not gonna know that you need to sit up front or you need to sit in the back because of your vision or you're in a wheelchair and you need a desk up front, whatever it may be. How it's gonna work is this is how it needs to be for training teachers because it is kind of a two feet in the deep end kind of thing. Like you got to do that portion, but at the end of the day, you got to get up and walk home. Right. Most students don't get to do that. So if it's a semester long, lifelong thing, you know, people think, oh, I broke my leg and I'm in a wheelchair or a walker. I'm like, yeah, that's for six weeks. After that, you're good. And so having to be your own self-advocate and having to be able to know what you need, not only inside the classroom, but outside the classroom. If you need, what you're talking about is a grabber to grab things from the top shelf. Mm -hmm. If you need your cabinets lowered so that you can reach it normally, there are wheelchairs that now are stand-up wheelchairs. We'll literally have you standing up as tall as you are. So there's a bunch of assistive technologies out there that colleges have that it's just up to you as the student to know what to ask for. And in high schools, they should probably have the same thing, but I don't know know, funding-wise what kind of assistive technologies the K through 12. So so I'm hearing you saying, and I don't know if we do this enough, is um, especially for new teachers, is to try to help them to help students become a self-advocate first. Yes. So that they can be able to clearly identify and explain to people what they need. Right. And the best way to go about doing that is finding out what the parents know. Okay. Because the students are not going to know, especially in the K through six. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, up here it's K through six in Iowa. It's K through five. Yes. In Georgia. Yeah. So in the K through five. You know, the student's not going to know because the students are still learning numbers and letters and cursive and all that stuff. It's the parent's role to tell the teachers or tell the principal, hey, my kid is this. I want my kid here. I need my kid there. If the parent is the very first self-advocate, Anthony, you know my story growing up. My parents were my advocates. Mm -hmm. They did everything that I needed to get me what I needed. So it is the parent's role in the K through five to say, this is my child, these are the needs and these are the accommodations. Once you do that, it is the school's responsibility to get the accommodations for that child. 
Well, let me let me uh, kind of expand that. Um, you know, especially uh, being a minority. From what I've seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you do you feel that especially um, people that have different cultural backgrounds sometimes um, do not want to put that uh, that kind of uh, I'm going to say label because sometimes we have you know we put labels on people, but if if they know that their child um, has a disability. Um, is it in different cultures? How does that work as far as them uh, coming to grips with that and then actually going and, and being that advocate? Because uh, again, I, I just, some of my experiences where that may not be the case where the parent wants to advocate because um, they are not, the stigma of a disability uh, may be something that is not, you know, it's not good. Well, being of Indian descent in India, it's looked down upon. Okay. Like my seizures are called fits. And I didn't know that until I went to visit India where seizures are fits. And you are looked weird. You know, sometimes if you have a disability of some type, your parents like disown you because they don't want a kid like that. That wasn't the plan. And I don't know what it is in other countries because I haven't like digged deep enough into that. But when you bring, and, and my parents were immigrants who came to America, so they had to learn like what the classroom rules were. Because, but also at the same time, I'm the youngest. So they had, they learned the rules from my siblings, but my siblings were able-bodied. So they knew the rules and they learned school. But when I came in, that's why they wanted me to be integrated in the classroom because that's all they knew. Mm-hmm. And then when special ed was brought up, my mother was a nurse at the time, and she knew what that meant. My father didn't know what that meant, but my mom knew what that meant. And she was like, no, because they were teaching me at home that my disability didn't define me. That if I wanted to go play basketball with my brother, okay, go figure out how to shoot a basketball. I shoot a basketball one-handed. You want to learn how to play Nintendo? Okay, go play Nintendo. I'm dating myself with Nintendo. But, you know, I spent nine hours in a room with the remote upside down playing Nintendo. I figured out how to do it. But those are all the things that it's the parents that will teach. And then as the student learns from the parents and the student gets more confident as they get older, they'll be able to know because... Most of the time, your accommodation is going to be the same each year. Mm-hmm. So the more you go and the more your student or your child learns, the more they'll be able to become their own advocate and tell their teacher on their own what they need. Sure. Oh, that's great. Um, so kind of going back to uh, your work uh, at Combined Efforts, what are some action things that, um, that your mission and your purpose specifically outlined to advocate for those with disabilities, um, especially in the arts. Uh, how are some ways that you promote those, uh, those ideals to try to get that out there for others to understand? Just in our groups, like the programs we have. So we have a theater group. It's a very large theater group and we have a writer's group. So the writer's group will write a play of any sort, of any length. And then once that's done, they give it to our artistic director who puts it with our theater group. And then we have auditions for roles and where the company we work at or I work at 
or I should say organization, excuse me. I'm still new at this whole thing, so I'm mm -hmm. getting used to the lingo. But the organization I work at, we have a policy where nobody gets turned away. So if you audition for a role, it might, you might not get that role, but you're going to get a role because we don't want you to feel like you don't belong. And so we want you to feel like you belong, so we're going to give you a role at some point. And so we do that. So it's all interconnected. The writer's group goes to the theater group, the theater, and then there might be a, song, a part in the uh, written script for a song to be played. Well, then we get that song to our men's choir, and our men's choir will sing that song. So all three main groups will come together on stage to make one big piece, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And we also have an, you know, other, um, others, I guess, an ulterior, we call it our ulterior motifs. And it's like a music group, you know, banging the drums, having some fun like that. So we have all these different groups that intertwine when it comes to performance tech. So really just getting them out there, uh, getting them out in the community uh, that boosts their uh, self-esteem, their confidence, and also uh, enables the community to better understand uh, what the mission and vision of ex uh, combined efforts does, and also and the, with disability advocacy. Right, and not just capability, but the fact that like, at some point, it's not even gonna be a question. Mm -hmm. When you see that person auditioning for the third or fourth time, you're just like, oh, so-and-so's auditioning again. The, oh, the girl with Down syndrome is auditioning again. That goes away. And it just becomes, you know, whatever her name is with Down syndrome is auditioning for this part. And it will hopefully go from, oh, we don't know if she can do it, to, oh, we've seen her in so many other things. She's totally capable of doing this. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right, so, you know, we'll shift our gears uh, to just lifelong learning. Um, you know, like you've uh, said before, uh, you've had a good experience with just being an advocate um, most of your life. Um, but, you know, we, we always need to try to continue the conversation. So what are some ways that you believe we can continue this conversation um, to not just uh, go from a good lesson um, to where we're listening, but uh, what are some ways that other people can help advocate for other people, not only just in the educational field, but um, if they see somebody uh, on the street, uh, what are some ways that we can, like I said, just always look for ways throughout our life uh, to be able to be an advocate uh, for those that are disabled and for everybody? I would say, like I mentioned it earlier, educate yourself because it's never a bad thing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're able-bodied or disabled, help is always help. And maybe you don't want it. Maybe you think you can do it on your own and try it. If you want to try it on your own, try it and see if you can do it. But if not, there's always going to be people to help. And so you have to educate yourself. Like you were saying, if you see somebody across the street who's disabled, you might go and see that and say, oh, I think they got it. Or you might go, oh, they need help. And if they're in a wheelchair, a walker, whatever the disability is, if you saw me having a seizure on the floor, if you don't know how to help me, how are you going to help me? Yeah. Like, yes, you know 911 is always going to be there. But 
911 might not always be what I need. So talking to someone who has the disability. Yes, I did a disability simulation for mine, but I did so much research. I talked to so many people before filming started. But if you're not doing that and you just see a random person there that has some, some sort of issue that you think you might need help with or they'll help with, look at it and really go, do they need it? You know, again, it never hurts to ask. Yeah. Because the worst you're going to get is no. Yeah. But well, just educate yourself on what you want to learn. It's just sure. like regular life. Yeah. A person with a disability is a regular person too. No, I, I love what you said, you know, that, to ask questions. Um, you know, like I said, especially in the climate that we're in, you know, it's almost like sometimes people get demonized because they ask questions, you know, and uh, to, to go back to lifelong learning, you know, if we're not constantly asking questions about a lot of stuff, you know, um, so that we have a better understanding. I know some people just ask questions, you know, and it, it's it to, to get into another alternative motive. And I think that's maybe the reason why people get demonized for uh, asking certain questions. But, um, you know, like you said, to build lifelong learning, we always have to be asking questions. And if we have that, uh, that, that, that drive to want to better understand something and research, then I think we're all going to be better to be able to have that empathy uh, for not only those that have dis disabilities, but everybody, right? So no matter what color we look at, we look at or what, what gender we are um, or what, you know, um, religion we, we, we come from, um, having that uh, ability to want to seek out uh, those answers and, and, and questioning is, is a great thing. Um, we'll turn to our last question is, well, what do you think the greatest lesson uh, you've learned uh, from being a, an advocate for those that are dis disabled? What's been the greatest lesson that you've learned so far? Um, that I'm capable. So in my life I've had, and in recent years with having to go and um, see certain people, I put myself in these one or two word categories. Like last week, it was the I can. And so I had to figure out all the things I think I can do as a person with a disability. And then I went and tried them to see whether or not I'm capable of doing it. This upcoming week is the I need week. So I need to figure out as a person with a disability, what do I need? Whether it's friendships, relationships, having tough conversations, you know, knowing that I need something that maybe not might not be healthy for me. So more of the intellectual aspect of disability, of doing the I wants and I needs, because some of the things that I thought I needed, looking back on it now, I don't. And then how do I break that down into my head? So I have mm. that kind of the I cans, I wants, I needs, and try and make it to make my life better. Because as a person with a disability, you have so much stress on you and then no, you know, everybody has got stress, right. but when you're out there knowing like for me, heat is a trigger. And right now it's 91 degrees outside by this window I'm sitting at. I can't go outside for more than five minutes without a seizure being triggered. So I'm stuck in my house. So what do I need as a person with a disability who's non COVID related stuck in his house? Mm. You know, those are, those are things. It's not just, oh, yes, either. 
have to take meds, the times I have to take meds, uh, where I have to take my meds, you know, when to know, you know, to go outside, to come inside. There's seven different things I'm thinking in my head, whereas an able-bodied person would be like, oh, let's go outside. Yeah. So that's the hard lesson that I've learned is that I have to be able to think five steps ahead and know how to accomplish those five things while an able-bodied person just has that one thing they have to think about. Sure. No, man, that's actually great. I think everybody can take that life lesson um, doing it every week. I can, what do I, what I can and go out and doing it. What do you need? Uh, going out and saying, what do I want? I think that's great. You know, I know um, working at the primary school for a number of years, you know, we teach the kids, especially in kindergarten, you know, their, their wants versus needs. And what I've learned, you know, really even in, as an adult, it's good to even go back and do those same things, right? Because like you, what you just said, um, sometimes we're, we're always go, 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 go. And we think we need certain things, but they're really just wants. And once we categorize those things, we really find the true value of what we really can do. Uh, but that, that's saying, you saying that I can, and then putting that list together and going out and trying to do it. I think everybody needs to hear that. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to do that next week. <laughs> I am definitely going to implement that. Um, so again, everybody, you know, if, if you can, I, maybe I'll put this on the, uh, put this on the little, uh, real education podcast notes uh, to just go out Next week, uh, write down a list of your I cans. It may be something you feel like you want to do and go see if you can do it. And then the next week, write down I want. Look at the things that you want. Do you necessarily uh, really want them? Uh, and then their needs. And especially, like I said, living in the times that we're living in now um, where people are anxious and people are scared of, you know, the, the unknown. Uh, doing that really brings it back to the core structure of, who we are as human beings as far as what, in, what we need so but please be safe with your cans wants and means right nothing yeah don't don't go on to your bucket list <laughs> nothing stupid you don't want you talking yeah. about your bucket list just yeah yet. don't do the bucket list yeah don't do the bucket list but hopefully you have five to six or seven decades yeah but you know a good a good example is um you know i know it's it's good for people to get outside uh and maybe you know exercise uh, that helps with a lot of uh, anxiety and if you know if you have a lot of stress and so maybe you only could walk you know 500 steps uh you know one day so maybe you know say i can walk 750 and you know then that actually helps you know of course you know keep your social distance and those kind of things like you said be safe everybody um and that's it but you know sujit thank you for uh taking the time to uh, come on this podcast today. Uh, again, we've really talked about um, education uh, and disability advocacy and what's relevant today. Um, how can we be empathetic uh, with those uh, with the disability and also just advocating for those and ourselves as well. Um, some action steps that we've talked about and also just some lessons. I appreciate you know the opportunity to come on and tell my story and talk about my organization with you. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Thank you.